0: we go on, we remember all the times we, okay, I can't sing y'all. Y'all <laughs> already know that. <laughs> um, but I do want to welcome you. It is with so much bittersweetness that um, I announced that this is the last episode. Um, the BGD blog is... Um, doing some reformatting and, and, and shutting down some different things um, and I'll get into that at the end of the episode um, but I just wanted to let you know that uh, take in everything that happens during this episode um, because it will be the last one unfortunately all right so with that I am so excited for today's episode. Um, We're jam packed with so many things going on in the media right now and in politics. We're gonna talk about Insecure and these first two episodes of the series uh, or of this season of the series. Then we're gonna jump into the No Confederate Boycott. Uh, Then we'll also jump into another boycott of The Breakfast Club. which I'm sure you have heard about and then lastly we will tackle, we being me and my guests we'll tackle the transgender military ban that President overgrudgingly, Trump, tried to institute over Twitter just last week Um, and then that's gonna be it. Um, So without further ado let me welcome a dear, dear friend, an amazing um, friend shaker um, in various movements, Loretta Ellis, um, who is the communications <laughs> manager from BYP One Hundred. So look them up and make sure you donate to organizations fighting for Black liberation. Um, as she describes herself, she is regular, degular, regular, but she's <laughs> so much more than that. Welcome, Lorraine.
1: Thank you, Raquel, for having me on here. And hey, everyone.
0: <laughs> awesome. So how are you feeling today? I know there's so much going on. Yeah, you know, it is a lot going
1: on. I was about to say that I feel good, but that's, you know, I, I don't think that would be appropriate. But I feel oddly at ease and i'm not letting this stuff you know get to me i am still it's sunny outside i feel beautiful it's wonderful i'm having a great day
0: (laughs) awesome i'm trying to do the same you sound like you're in a lot better spirit than i am so yeah (laughs) i mean i'm just trying i'm sorry go ahead oh no go ahead (laughs) oh i
1: was i was just saying i just don't want people to think i just don't care about what's going on but like i feel like you know as black trans women, like we deal with so much shit on a daily basis all the time, that like sometimes you just gotta pretend like nothing's going on, you know what I'm saying? So I woke up this morning and pretended like I was in heaven.
0: And yeah, we are masters of resilience. Girl, yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna dive right into the first topic. Um, so Insecure is back for the second season mm-hmm. and it has already been off to an amazing start. Obviously, we know that Insecure is just this amazing cultural moment right now. Um, so many young black folks, black millennials, if you will, see themselves so reflected in this, in this uh, show. And uh, the creator Issa Rae, of course, has had a presence online. Thinking about Oprah Black Girl and, and various things that she's been a part of. So it's so amazing to have this show for Black Millennials to just kind of tune out of everything happening in the world right now and just like mm-hmm. plug into the lives of these characters. Um, so, this most recent episode, of course, um, <laughs> Issa, the character in the show is still trying to get over Lawrence. Um, they had a little. Rop on their couch, um, which is so funny because the couch was like a, a source of tension in the first season. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so have already christened her new couch, unfortunately. Um, and it seems that Lawrence is in, you know, fuckboy mode, um, not to offend any of our listeners, but that is what he is in. Um and Issa is trying to rebuild her heart. Um so what are your what are your thoughts from this last episode?
1: (sighs) Um so here's the thing, like I try to pick a side, you know what I'm saying? Like I try to be like, oh, I'm team Issa or team Tasha or team Lawrence or whatever. And I feel like it's not as cut and dry as people like to make it, you know what I'm saying? I feel like Issa and Lawrence have both done things in their relationship that they shouldn't have done. And um the lack of communication and the lack of like taking accountability for, and I think men do that a lot, right? He sat on her couch for two years doing Mm. absolutely nothing with your life. And you took no accountability for that and the way in which that burdened a black woman right to have to act like your mother and to take care of you and to coddle you for all of those years of course she's gonna feel like you don't love her you're not there for her you're not being the man that you're supposed to be and like for you to for her to mess up once and you take that and you like start acting like this this i think fuck boy is a perfect descriptor for what he's acting like and like i have so much um so much like compassion for tasha because like he's gonna hurt her so bad you know what i'm saying like at the end when she like took him back she's like do you want to eat like this is gonna hurt me so bad to watch her and that's why i hate Issa because the things that she write even even if you like aren't going through exactly what she's going through or experiencing the emotions and like the 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 moments like you resonate with them so deeply because like you think about moments in your life where you felt that that way right Um, so it's all messy and it's, 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 yeah, I don't know. I just, every, every time the episode is over, I'm stressed and I don't know how to like, (laughs) how to like think about what just
0: happened or what went on. So. I think we're all collectively stressed. I mean, I, everything that you just said is so true. And I feel like watching, I just feel like I'm going through a breakup all over again. Yes. (laughs) my heart like leaves my body.
1: At the end of the episode, when she, when uh, when um, Supermodel played, oh mm-hmm. my god! I was li- like, I wasn't going to cry, but I was definitely <laughs> definitely felt empty, like because that song is oh, sh- girl, you about to send me to a place. Yes, I, I definitely felt like I was going through a breakup all over again and just reliving that experience and like, oh,
0: I mean, oh. she is so great at just capturing what it is to be a young black person, like. Mm-hmm. Just everything from the aesthetics of the show to the dynamics of the characters—it's so mm-hmm. authentic. Yeah. And also the music choices. Let's be real; like, I don't know how they get rights to this music, but I am oh. so here for all of all of the <laughs> current music that that is in the show. Yeah, um, I mean, because you know how sometimes they all—they have like music that's like a couple of years off, and you like. Mm, yeah,
1: I will say uh, <laughs> this, this might be an unpopular opinion. Don't drag me. But like, <laughs> I think especially with this recent episode, I feel like the music, sometimes it was just like, it seemed forced to me. I was like, all right, mm. th- that song didn't have to go there. Or I don't know. But maybe that was just me. Or maybe I'm just
0: hating. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> that's real. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this was also a great episode because Molly was shown actually opening up to her therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And so to see, you know, Molly is is Molly is really the strong black character, like black woman mm-hmm. character in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one that that gives me, you know, Mary Jane, Paul T. Mm-hmm. Like super successful. She bad. Her, her um, outfits are always on point, and yet it's so difficult um, for I her think it's to a shambles. Right. But she pretended like it's not. Right. And and, and it's so difficult for her to, to find someone that can really compliment her life the way she deserves. Mm-hmm. So understanding that like relationships aren't the only ways to fulfillment um, and also mm-hmm. that the ways in which we are told that success will fulfill us are untrue. Mm-hmm. So there's there's so many angles to that that I love about Molly's character. But I love that mm-hmm. she's opening up about what's going on and she's the voice of reason for Issa. It's so cute. Right, which is so funny. It's so funny to me that she's the voice of reason.
1: But also, <laughs> Can we talk about um in the in the episode when she opened up i feel like they were trying to do the whole like uh gender wage gap racial gender race gap thing mm-hmm. but like i couldn't i couldn't connect to it because that paycheck was seven thousand dollars like <laughs> she was arguing like oh well he's making more but girl how much are you making she probably making like you know five or six thousand like i don't know i just couldn't connect with it because i was like girl you're slamming like you're making buku money while I'm over here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I don't know. They tried. They really tried
0: it with that. But it right and and I think it is difficult for that storyline to really resonate with folks because I mean I no I mean no shade because obviously there are black career women who are going through that, but I feel like yeah. that comes off as a very white woman storyline attached to the successful black woman.
1: Yeah, it could have I, been. I, I would have connected with it more if it was Issa's. Like if Issa was mm. going through that. Because I bet mm-hmm. her paycheck would have been way more relatable. <laughs> like, and I would have like been like, okay, I get that. And I just would have
0: connected with it more.
1: I'm just so displaced from Molly that I just I was like, I don't know. I don't think that came off the way you wanted it to come off.
0: <laughs> That's real. Um and, and you know, while we're having this like conversation, um just wanna left out that. As we're recording this, it is um, Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Um, So we do know when when the conversation of the wage gap comes up, it's often about the disparity between white men's wages and white women's wages and and how actually black women make even less than white Mm -hmm. women a lot of the time. Um, But yeah, and then so one last thing. Um that little like uh show that was on TV in the like little background with um <laughs> Regina Hall. Right? With why Regina Hall like, and Scott Foley from like. Scandal, like is that direct shade to Shondaland? I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I feel I like it's every awful. time Every time I watch that, because this is the second time they had her in there, right? As a slave in the show. I need to know, like, what's going on. Like, what was that? I need to know what the writers were thinking about making that because it's just, it gags me every time. Like, why is she the slave? Like, what is going on? I don't get it.
0: Right. And it's so much like um, when they had that that fake show, Defamation in the Dear White People series on Netflix, um, which was also Shaded Scandal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, but you know, it's funny because this actually segues us into our next topic, right? Because this show is about, you know, slavery and this white <laughs> man, master dude, and, and this black woman um, slave. Um, but there was a boycott actually happening last night while um, Insecure was on, but also particularly when Game of Thrones was on. Um, and so... Or actually I think Game of Thrones ended did it end last week? I don't know. Do you I, I don't
1: watch Game of Thrones.
0: I obviously do not. I've seen yeah. <laughs> like the fir- first two seasons um but I kind of fell off yeah. so maybe one day I'll go back but I I think for me because it lacked people of color and strong characters of color I never really jumped fully into it. Mm. Um but I you know i I think the conversation around um the hashtag no confederate boycott is so valid um mm-hmm. because not only has Game of Thrones been critiqued for not having enough people of color in it mm-hmm. in in strong and powerful roles, but now the the uh, creators of it have decided to start another drama or start mm-hmm. a drama called Confederate in which it imagines a world where the United States um southern states have did successfully succeed from secede from the Union during the Civil War and mm-hmm. slavery is still practiced in the current day. Um, and mm-hmm. so in response to that announcement last week, um oscar so white so hashtag oscar so white um creator april rain has been behind this boycott to do hashtag no confederate because it's just Mm -hmm. inexcusable for them to for predominantly white creators to decide oh well it's okay to tap into black trauma for entertainment especially Mm -hmm. in a time when we have a president and leaders actively Working against the interests of Black liberation. Mm-hmm. Not only that, I was reading
1: this um, this article about it, and there was this quote: uh, someone had said it's dangerous to present alternative histories when people are still not clear on the facts. And like f- for me, it makes me think about the fact that like these white people are sitting around writing this story about, oh my God, what would it look like if slavery still existed, or what would it look like if racism was still here, what would it look like if people were still bigoted and prejudiced? And it's like sweetie <laughs> it's still happening like there's never been a change and also there needs to be a clear understanding of why the civil war happened right it wasn't about just ending slavery and that, you know that being the be all end all be all it wasn't just about unifying the races like i think um writing this like this 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 new drama without actually having your your facts straight to begin with is like irresponsible
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, And especially when we now have so much more information and so many more folks speaking out about how the mass incarceration system is modern slavery, Mm -hmm. right, and how the 13th Amendment allows basically slavery as a form of punishment to folks. Um, and so this isn't a hypothetical, like you were saying. I mean, this is people's actual lived realities. And in fact, some people have brought up a very good point of why not show a, a, a fan fantastical reality in which Black folks actually never endured slavery, right? Or mm-hmm. actually aren't, or held back by what has happened in the past. Um, but of course, you know, these white creators gonna keep whitening, as some mm-hmm. folks have said on Twitter, and it's just so unfortunate. Yeah, um, I
1: don't even know. I don't know. I mean, I get the the premise of the idea of having a um a new series about if Black people didn't even endorse slavery, but I I think I think that would do us an inj- injustice as well. I I don't know. I just I don't I don't think people should be unless we are addressing. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about my ancestors, and I'm not trying to disrespect my ancestors. You know what I'm saying? So like, right. why That's So like that the Confederate, or like people acting like we didn't go through the shit that we went through. Like I don't know. Like the, my my ancestors, they're watching me, and they're just like they're shaking in their boots. I don't think they like that. So
0: <laughs> that's wrong. I mean that's wrong. And and I, I think that that speaks to why we need. All types of stories, right? Mm-hmm. But particularly all types of stories from a black lens and not, yeah. one, not one's more because
1: at this point, yeah. at, at this point, we can see that black art is dominating. you know what I'm saying? like black um what was it? it was hip hop and r and b that's now surpassed rock as the most mm-hmm. streamed thing. and like now black TV shows and black films are getting their shine. like we need to just let let them. Let us continue to shine. Like y'all don't need to be making no more new shit because
0: you don't know she (laughs) does. Right. No, no more Ghostbusters 5. We're done.
1: Exactly. (laughs)
0: Um, so in while we are talking about the week of boycotts, um Mm -hmm. there has been another boycott that has also taken social media by storm. So last week. Um, New York Times bestselling author Janet Mock, um, also a, a dear friend um, and just a great person, um, elevating narratives within the trans community. Uh, she went on to the Breakfast Club, um, which is powered through Power 105.1 in New York, um, but as I found out, is like syndicated in like 40 or 50 markets, so it gets around. Um, in addition to the fact that they get about 4 million views per week. Um, so they have a huge reach. Uh, but Janet Mock was on to discuss her second memoir, Surpassing Certainty, which came out last month, and in her experience. Um, and so the actual interview was a mess. Um, they definitely asked some very invasive questions, particularly they didn't even
1: read her books. Can we talk
0: about that? Right. (laughs) Particularly around her body. Um, and, and, and just made her uncomfortable. But right. As you said, they didn't read her books. Angela Yee did. So at least Angela Yee did read her book and did know and research about Janet, which is typical because Charlamagne and DJ Envy hardly ever actually have substance that they're adding to the conversations that they're they're having there. Um, but Janet, she maneuvered through it. I mean, she is very great at um, public speaking and, right. and getting her thoughts across. The girl is um, media trained. She is media trained. Right. Um, and, and so I think that afterwards, folks were like, OK, you know, we expected some tension, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like the Star interview. Like the Sydney Star interview back in um, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Sydney Star is a Black transgender. Um, she's kind of like a social media socialite. Yeah. Something like that. Um, But she is, she was on the show. and And of course, this was back when trans discourse was even less mm-hmm. where it is now. And people really didn't have the terminology, even even us, um, in the same ways. All of that happened. And then just a few days afterwards, they brought on C-list comedian. I-, I actually, <laughs> I shouldn't even give him an alphabet letter. <laughs> um, but anyway, they brought on comedian Lil Duvall. Have you heard of him? No, probably not. And <laughs> I'm being petty, but he was brought on. They were asking him kind of general, run-of-the-mill questions, and then about six minutes in, Charlemagne out of nowhere asked him what he thinks about Donald Trump banning transgender people from the military. Um, First of all, he little, asked him that on purpose. He, he asked ask him that, that on purpose because everybody knows that Lil Duvall is
1: that troll. That troll on like, that be on like Twitter, just saying dumb stuff, who has no politics. Like you asked him that on purpose to start some drama.
0: And so like, right. I mean, he doesn't even speak up, up about politics that actually pertain nothing. to him. Exactly. <laughs> so that happened. And then of course, quickly, you know, little Duvall is like trying to like, not engage with the question. Um, and then Charlemagne and Envy really kind of egg him on, and then Angela Yee eggs him on too. Not to the same extent, but she's still complicit in what's going, ha- going on here. And it goes into this conversation around what would Lil Duval do if he was he had um, encountered a trans woman and she disclosed that she was transgender after whatever potential hypothetical thing happens with him. He said, he said, if
1: y'all were in four months into a relationship
0: and you had sex and then
1: she told you that she was transgender what would you do
0: see they said so many different things they kept reframing the conversation that because they really were egging him on and i mean that's such a specific so specific like. <laughs> example and really shows how pressed the mm-hmm. black men are about
1: specifically dj envy look I th- everyone keeps talking about Charlemagne or or um what's his face little duvall but dj <laughs> envy like people need to go in on dj envy because he ain't shit like i'm telling y'all dj envy first of all the way dj envy went in on sydney star in 2013 he should have gotten uh he should have gotten uh stuff for that but like the way that he sat there first he did you see the way he held up janet Mock's book
0: with her mm-hmm. face on
1: the cover and like really forced duval to say is she attractive or not this is a woman how you feel like oh. dj envy needs to be fired i don't care everyone is ignoring dj envy but he is the most complicit in all of the
0: stuff that is going on just don't ignore him right. That's all
1: i needed to say <laughs> i have something
0: <laughs> right i mean you know, they're all complicit, um, but but the core of the matter is that, you know, it, it finally got to a point where Lil Duval was like, if he found that out, she's dying. So, this hypothetical trans woman is dying because he is insinuating that he would kill her. Um, he tries to backtrack a little bit later on and say, no, what I'm really saying is that I would be made to feel like I'd want to do that. But the damage has already been done. And that's really what you meant the first time. Mm -hmm. So, so of course, after that, um, it blew up on social media. Shout out to Jamal Lewis, who um, really elevated that in our community initially. But it has kind of sparked this whole entire boycott um, of The Breakfast Club. Um, So the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, Um, which is uh, founded by one of our our dear friends and and another activist, Al Hearns, issued a statement and a petition. Um, Folks like Leslie Mack and Marissa Johnson um, got involved um, basically to call in supposed allies to, to black trans women to show up and say something. Um, and then it's been important to me to actually like have people put faces to to these tweets and these words that they're saying of support. Um, and so hashtag um, trans folks are not jokes um, has been trending a little bit. Um, so if you really believe in the liberation of black trans folks, please be vocal about it. Um, but this is just disgusting. And, and we'll start with, it being disgusting because they really feigned interest and respect for Janet Mock when she was on the show, and then literally turned around and threw all of that in her face and used her as a prop
1: right. um, to
0: incite this hateful
1: rhetoric. Right. I think that's the that was that was the aspect of the conversation that really got me the most um because like at the end of the day niggas are gonna be niggas oh wait can i say that on here? i'm sorry should i not say you already did i'm sorry (laughs) men are gonna be men and like they're like we've heard this discourse over and over again you know what i'm saying like people have been calling us men people have been saying he people have been calling us the n-words like i've heard that over and over again so that didn't bother me as much what bothered me the most is that you had janet mock right who is who is a best-selling author and who is well who was highly educated and spent her time her precious time to do trans 101 with y'all to educate you like she really bare like went through and and took those ignorant ass questions that they were asking her and she like really helped to educate them and y'all went behind her back and used her as a prop to then demean and delegitimize Black trans people, and like that to me, like that was the aspect that I just really I just couldn't believe that. And like I, I can only imagine how Janet felt, right? To like, because I know she was uh, uncomfortable at the thought of being on that show, but she wanted to re- to reach a particular audience to get a message across for for us for this movement, and for them to do that to her, humiliate her like that, like. That just burned me up.
0: So And so can I also just say, along with all of that, hell has no fury like Black trans women scorned in Mm -hmm. 2017. (laughs) So first of all, we are not going to stand for this. We are not going to allow for this to happen to our community silently anymore. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that that is the big difference between previous years, um, maybe a few years ago when Sydney Starr was on there, maybe um, years and years ago when these comedians would have these specials saying this stuff about Black trans women because it was predominantly Black cis men who were the comedians throwing us under the bus. Um, We are in a different time. Um, And also this is so connected to the political moment, Um, so it it goes beyond jokes It goes beyond, again, the C-list, the comedian. Um, we are under attack every day. Um, and I say that to be real, I don't say that to say that we are victims because we are not, we are so strong and we make our way every single day. But we have to be real that we are constantly a threat of violence, particularly from cisgender black men. We have a whole entire government that is coming at us from every angle, thinking about Donald Trump um, and how he is actively saying that transgender people are burdens to society, that's not okay. Thinking about conservative politicians across the country who are trying to pass laws to keep us out of public spaces and out of facilities, thinking about the 15 mostly Black trans women who have been murdered so far this year, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is just of the reported murders. So thinking about Black trans women like Erica and uh, within the Justice for Erica campaign, who is being treated so cruelly and heartlessly in our supposed criminal justice system, mm-hmm. along with a trans, black trans man, Kai Peterson, um, who was raped and then put into prison um, for defending himself. So we have all of these things going on. And when people make jokes and don't hold each other accountable, that rhetoric makes all of that even worse. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I also think about too, like what really burns me up the most is that, like, um, I one of the one of the cases I, I thought about when people were talking about desirability and um, disclosure, I was thinking about Elon Nettles, and how like yeah. Elon was just walking down the street minding her business with her friends and group a group of like this guy was catcalling her and because his friends told him that she was trans and he was embarrassed he murdered her and so i think about like all the people that are saying well you know if you just disclose you'll be all right and i'm like yo like if we pass too well as cis we're we can be murdered if we don't pass we can be murdered if we are in relationships we can be murdered if we're not in relationships we can be murdered walk into the store we could be murdered like literally it's it's less about like disclosure for people and comfortability and desirability and it's more about people really wanting to exterminate trans people off of the face of this earth for just being And, like, that really, like, gets me. And the fact that people are so mentally shackled that they don't understand that they are actually finding reasons to justify the murder of a human life, like, that makes no sense to me. And we are all adults. We are all adults. And so, like, for for me, what really bothers me in this instance is that men are talking about we are lying to them when they have sex with us, right? But my thing is, like, what about... What about the men that utilize women as a means right for sexual gratification and don't actually think about their humanity but use them to get some butt or whatever and like what about them and the ways in which they utilize that as a means to 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 end to you know catch a whatever um and they don't. They don't. They aren't interested in the history of that woman. Has who, who is this woman? What is her humanity like? How is she being and navigating this world? But for trans women, it's all. All of a sudden, it's an issue. All of a sudden, we need to sit down and I need to go do a birth chart with you and talk about all of these things. Like that doesn't make sense to me. If we are going to engage, right. if you are just a hookup, you know what I'm saying. If we're not exchanging hearts, there's. No, I do not have to disclose, disclose a thing to you if you are just gonna use me to get to get a piece and leave. And people just will not understand that. And that is what, oh, that bothers me so much. And the fact that there were so many people that were dragging black tra- or dragging trans women in general, and none of the men that claim that they are attracted to or love trans women even spoke up. I did not see any support from men who, who, who claim to love us. And that, that's a problem that is a big problem because those men are just as complicit in the violence and are the ones that help to perpetuate that violence on our bodies.
0: Very true. Very true. Um, and I, I want to lift up, um, there have been a couple of pieces, um, today, but I want to lift up, um, what you wrote, Lorraine. Um, so first of all, the title, um, <laughs> black men don't make trans women pay for your fragile masculinity. So true. I mean, at at the core of this, that is the the perfect title. Um, But one um, quote that really stuck out, (laughs) um, women minding our business is such a threat to black men. Black manhood must be in a crisis. We need Mm -hmm. to have a discussion amongst ourselves, black people, about black men who never know how to hurt or work shit out without hurting others around them. Black men's carelessness in handling their own discomfort has created violent conditions for those around them.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> and this happens on a macro and a micro level that black men they're bred to, they're, they're born and socialized to believe that they can't emit emotion, that they can't actually have access to the full gamut of humanity that we all should be able to have access to and, have, and be able to, to, to embody, right? That we can't, that they can't be truly liberated. And so because they're struggling with that internally, they, they kind of like perpetuate all of that stress and whatever on everybody else. And it happens in interpersonal relationships it happens um when you look when you look on twitter and the ways and the viewpoints that they have uh relating to massage noir or femphobia phobia or whatever and it happens on this level too where you have people like Lil Duval sitting around talking about he's gonna kill somebody if they had sex with him y'all don't know how to struggle with the, the stronghold that white supremacist um white violent supremacist oppressorship has on your souls on your minds on your hearts you don't have to struggle that struggle through that by yourself without reciprocating that on everyone else around you especially the people the same people that that have been burdened with trying to um trying to to fight back against the oppression fight back against the state violence that's been oppressing black people specifically black men like that to me is like so bothers bothersome that people seek to to separate themselves from kinship between their own people because they can't seem to get through the stuff going on in their own heads
0: brian i mean it's so true and i i I, am i am just so Thankful and grateful for the Black trans folks who are speaking up and, and the few <laughs> Black cis folks who are putting themselves on the line for us as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, Janet, who wrote this amazing <laughs> uh, piece in Allure so quickly. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really touched on everything. Um, and I want to end off this segment just to quote her. Um, this was not the first. You could, never. First. <laughs> you could never, yes. <laughs> This was not the first time that I've been misgendered, dismissed, told that I'm an abomination, that I need medical help and God, et cetera, et cetera. Boo boo. You are <laughs> not original. Everything you spewed has been said to me and my sisters before, hundreds of times. But there are deeper consequences to this casual ignorance. Mm-hmm. Horrible rhetoric that leads many cis men desperately clutching their heterosexuality to yell at, kick, spit on, shoot, burn, stone, and kill trans women of color. Um huh? and you know that really is what it what it boils down to is He is tried the wrong probably, he,
1: like he, he did like what
0: <laughs> we are the ones are uh, what is it? What is it? I'm blanking on the thing um, I'm waiting for. Um, but also, I, I think that our ancestors, um, ancestors are definitely um, proud of where we're going and what we're building. Um, and this isn't the end. Um, and so, still talking about. Um, in the trans community because (sighs) last week Donald Trump basically or at least he thought he was doing something I guess um, quickly (laughs) became (laughs) clear that he actually wasn't doing as much as he thought he was. Um, So Donald Trump put out a series of tweets, as he does daily. Um, This series of tweets basically banned transgender people from serving in the military, or at least he thought it did. Um, His tweets, most of them followed by six ellipses, which I don't know where they do that at. But (laughs) it said, or they said, after consultation with my generals, capital G, and military experts, Please be advised that the United States government or allow dot, 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 transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the US military. Our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming dot, 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 victory and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military would entail, thank you, no punctuation. So, so (laughs) so (laughs) So basically Donald Trump told the world through tweets that he was banning transgender people from serving in the military. Reasoning was that the United States cannot be burdened with trans people's tremendous medical costs, um, Mm -hmm. which I wonder if anyone has... That didn't even need to be fact-checked because it hadn't been fact-checked before he even (laughs) tweeted it. Um, (laughs) And also saying that transgender people disrupt a certain order in the military. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are so many angles to this, Um, but Larray, again, because she's been on a role, wrote an amazing, succinct piece saying the military is an imperialist tool, mm-hmm. but the ban on trans folks is dehumanizing as fuck. <laughs> um, emphasis on the last <laughs> word. So Leray, would you like to kind of break down your initial thoughts? Would you talk about some in the piece?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: so I think one of the biggest takeaways
1: from this moment um and and i'm sure you agree too is that i feel like this was a uh a distraction right like i don't think that this was about military and i feel like especially organizations like hrc or glad or whatever were ready to mobilize to fight for military inclusion into but like i don't know why no one makes the broader connections to the bigger picture right that this is a a specific way to invalidate trans existence, right, and our ability to navigate space. And I think that um, when we talk about, uh, when when he talks about, for example, we are a burden um, and uh, the economy um, cannot stand, or the military economy budget cannot stand to withhold. Like, honestly, the, the amount of money is like 0.05% or something like that, that it would cost the military to fund surgeries for trans people that are currently serving in the military. And so like when he uses inflammatory language like that, in this instance, I think, okay, so how is this going to affect us on a federal level outside of the military, right? And um, how is this gonna affect us, especially given that it just came off of the heels of them arguing about the healthcare system? And so that to me, I feel like people were ignoring and we're not getting, and we're not drawing connections to that this could affect all of us, right? In general that he's he's coming for us all when it, we talk about healthcare, but also too, is that if we are truly talking about the liberation of our people, we cannot be invested in imperialist systems. So, like I, like I said in the article, you know, I work with BIP one hundred, and we are fighting for a world without police and prisons, and that also includes the military industrial complex that goes overseas and um, and takes over and destroys and terrorizes black and brown communities, right? We're talking about that too. And so like for, for me and for all of us, it's not about inclusion in the military, right? It's about our right to be able to live and our right to be able to, or our ability to not have to, and I think this is very important because there are trans people that are in the military who need to be there. But what can we do to make sure that there are systems set into place that trans people do not have to go to, or black people do not have to go to the military in order to receive the care that they need to survive? You know, people go through the military for education or for uh, health care. What will it look like if we have? a better public education system, more accessible public education system, and universal healthcare that will fund trans people's surgeries. Because we can't afford that. Like, what would that look like for us and not have to be invested in this imperialist system? Um, Because then this wouldn't be an issue for us all, right? And I, I think those are the things that we need to be thinking about. And on a larger scale, when we talk about building an infrastructure for the trans community to fight back. We need to be addressing state violence and the ways that it affects the most marginalized of us and not just the ways that it affects the more privileged ones of us or the ones that, um, or the people that are we see directly affected and don't understand how that could then trickle down to anyone else. Um, and like recently, Christy McGinn, Dr. Christy McGinn said that she would do tr- surgeries for all trans military personnel for free and so like for me while that's like oh great that's also bothersome for me it's also super bothersome for me because there are so many black and brown trans people that are out here that are struggling you know going through doing sex work uh in jail trying to survive just to raise enough money to get the health care that they need and here we have people that are saying oh well they're fighting for our country so they deserve to have this more than anybody else it perpetuates a new stratification and that to me is a problem and so that's why i had to write that article just to let people know like there's <laughs> a bigger picture to this
0: there is i mean there there really is um a, you know what you said in the article particularly around how people have said for years you know why why would you be queer or trans and be in the military um, or why, why did black soldiers back in the day, right, in various um, wars, some of them directly about them as a commodity, why would they be included in that? Um, right. and, and that's the thing is that the military in the United States has had a long history mm-hmm. of promising certain money resources money. Yeah. to marginalized folks. Um, But the thing is that even beyond that, the military doesn't even treat folks in the military that well. I mean, once you come out of the military, we've seen how veterans are treated. We've seen the high rates of homelessness. We've seen how they've had exacerbated mental health issues that have not been addressed wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And then in general, health care exclusion in, in various ways so mm-hmm. this is this is so big right and and it does go beyond the trans community and the fact that our military not only exploits folks in our country but also uses that exploited labor to wreak havoc across the world mm-hmm. um and, and it's not okay especially in a time when we know that um, immigration is, is such a huge issue, we know that detention is such a huge issue We know that the ways in which the United States treats people who were not born here in, in such detrimental and damaging ways To Think a little deeper about the choices that we make, right? Because although it could be beneficial for you on a personal level is that really in line with your politics?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you really understand the effects and the extenuating circumstances that that come along with choosing to be a part of a certain system? And and I have exactly. the same critique of people who are you know in uh, black police officers or police exactly. officers that are marginalized, exactly. right? And just because you are and LGBTQ anything, that doesn't mean that I think that you're for me, in fact, right. I am more wary of you because you have aligned yourself with um, no doubt an ideology that says that I, that I shouldn't exist and that people like mm-hmm. me shouldn't exist, um, but also one that really claims to be keeping me safe but really puts me in more harm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. So there, there's so many thoughts around this. And I think what's also draining is that this, because this affects largely, you know, and, and I, I don't, I can't even actually say that, but I think the, the public face of this issue is so very white mm-hmm. and so very privileged that it becomes prioritized as an issue mm-hmm. when we can't even get, uh, any recognition from groups around the deaths of, of transgender women of color right. when we can't even get adequate resources to trans folks of color who are being oppressed in prison right. um, or trans women who um, may be doing sex work because no one else is really providing them the opportunity to do anything else, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that world of limited opportunities that we live in that you were speaking of is so um, so important to, to this discussion because that's really what it is. And I think if, if we had more options to grow, more options uh, to live our, our best lives and livelihoods, we wouldn't have to make such hard and very problematic decisions. Mm-hmm.
1: I also think too that like, um, and this is no shade to our movement um, but I think, yeah, like <laughs> whoever is like in charge of the trans movement mobilization, et cetera, et cetera, we need to deepen our analysis because when I the, the only thing I heard from a lot of those you know, big organizations that do trans work, ACLU, et cetera, et cetera, is that um, you know, we need to give people the right to choose without any analysis around like imperialism or any analysis around, which white supremacy is perpetuating this harm on black and brown people or the ways or the analysis around ignoring the state violence that's affecting the you know the black and brown people like you were saying before and like um even like last year when we talk about the or two years ago the transgender tipping point or like you know we're just like you et cetera. It's like we need to dig deeper we need to dig deeper and i feel like these moments like this moment yet yeah, that moment two days ago when he banned trans people from the military. I felt like these are moments where we need to slow down and think like, yo, there are larger implications to this. And that will help to make our movement more robust and allow us to actually win the stuff that we actually need to win.
0: I agree. Um, And that was great. I want to thank you so much for being on the show, <laughs> uh, but this went by really fast. <laughs> it was really fun.
1: Uh, I was I was so nervous at first, but you're such a great host, so I thank you so much for having me on and being so fun. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, you are an amazing guest and an amazing person. Please um, plug anything that you want folks to follow you on, on social media or any work that
1: you want to elevate? Uh, Yeah, um, y'all can just follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and YouTube at The Bages Out. It's T-H-E-B-A-E-J-A-Z-E-L-L-E. I also write for Wear Your Voice magazine, so you can go to Wear Your Voice um, and see some of my writing there. Um, And also check out BYP100, byp100, the number 100.org. It's an amazing organization, eight chapters across the US, doing some dope work. So um, if you're interested in joining or you wanna support us or whatever, go to our website, check us out, reach out to us. You can also follow us on Twitter at BYP underscore 100 or on Facebook, BYP space 100. That's it.
0: Awesome, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right, everyone. So like I said at the top of the podcast, um, I have to now bid you adieu. Um, I am so grateful to have been able to host this podcast for the last year. Um, I started back um, in August 2016. Um, And I honestly had no idea what I was doing um, when I first started. I I still sometimes feel that way. Um, But I have really enjoyed elevating so many different voices throughout this year and also uh, being able to really talk about the things that I think a lot of places aren't necessarily talking about and from a lens that folks aren't necessarily talking about. Um, And I also want to say how grateful I am to Mia McKenzie, the founder of uh, Black Girl Dangerous, and of course, this podcast, the initial host. Um, And thanks, Chanel Adams, who was after uh, Mia, um, who actually, I was a guest for last July, um, which kind of gave them a preview and had Mia ask me later on to take over um but really you know for the last five and a half years BGD has amplified voices of queer and trans people of color this was just one way published hundreds of pieces of writing videos and podcasts by and for our communities Um, so this will always be a platform that will hopefully live on forever in perpetuity and just continue to follow the work of queer and trans people of color. I really believe that uh, we are the future and we are the past and we are the present, but definitely in the future. And so everyone, that's all for this episode. Um, thank you for tuning in, being so supportive. Um, You can check out my stuff at RaquelWillis.com, R-A-Q-U-E-L-W-I-L-L-I-S.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Raquel Willis um, underscore on Twitter, Raquel underscore Willis on Instagram, and then Raquel Willis official on Facebook. Um, But yeah, thanks for being along for the journey, the BGD podcast is a production of Black Girl Dangerous Media by y'all.